we're kicking off a new series here at Fellowship called, called Channels. And, uh, you know, it's this whole, whole idea that all of us are supposed to be channels of God's blessings that we receive from Him and we give, in, we give to others and pour into others. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm in a season of my life where this is very applicable. So um, Cindy and I are now empty nesters, and the kids are off the payroll and all that kind of stuff. So we, we've arrived, but we're facing things like, well, do we keep the house? Do we, do we sell the house? What do we do? And uh, I'm really excited that this week we're going to have uh, Russ Crossan is going to come and give us our message. Russ currently serves as executive vice chairman of the board of Ron Blue Trust. Uh, Russ has been at Fellowship for a number of years. Uh, you're going to hear more about that. He's also uh, one of the founders of one of our Sunday morning communities called Life Path. And this is going to be a great, great time together with Russ. Great series coming up. So would you please give a very warm, big, astounding welcome to Russ Crossan. So, 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 Tim, if I'm going to give you some financial advice, you know, downsize and give the rest of the money to the church. So that's, um, that's the plan there. So as Tim said, um, Julie and I have been at Fellowship for 37 years. We love this place. Obviously, if you've been there 37 years, you must love it, right? And you saw last week, if you were here, and if you weren't here, you can go back and look at the State of the Church address that, that Crawford gave and, and Rob Casoli, but they kind of showed all the different ministries and all that Fellowship has done, both in Roswell and around the world. So that was the vision from last week. So I get to start this channel series by talking about our role in making all that a reality. So I get to talk about giving. And the reason this is called conveyance and not giving on your bulletin there, if you put your bulletin, it says conveyance. That's a fancy word for giving. Because if we just said it was about giving, you wouldn't have come. So we call it conveyance. And just another way to, to talk about giving. But, you know, you heard him say last week that we need to finish paying off the building, $1.2 million by the end of 2018. And it's my hope and prayer, men and women of fellowship, that we will become such a generous body that the elders will never have to deal with how to deal with a budget shortfall, but only be dealing with, we have extra money, how do we continue to minister both within, the, within our um, environs here and around the world. So that's what I hope and what I'm going to share with you this morning. So you might you get your bulletin, Tim mentioned your bulletin, so we had an interesting thing happen this morning. When I got here at 8 o'clock, this was the insert. Shows we need budget help, right? We have enough money for paper. Um, but yeah, so that was the bulletin insert, but you guys should have something you can actually see and, and fill in the blank. So yeah, if you don't have one of these, I don't care if you get up and walk back there and get one right now while I'm starting to talk, but you should have a handout that we're going to work our way through this morning and hopefully help you understand a little bit better this whole issue of giving. Unless, unless you think that um, I always understood this, a little bit of my background, I grew up in a situation where I saw a plate pass on Sunday morning and a few dollars just dropped in. That was my visual of, of giving. And so I never saw generosity model as a, as a young man growing up. And then I married this lovely lady, Julie, and she didn't bring any debt into our marriage, but we'd been married a few months and I began to see these amounts of money going to these missionaries around the world on a monthly basis. And I'm like, what, what, what's this? Well, she was given to support these missionaries. And I was like, why don't they just get a job? You know, let's just, let's just deal with that. And so that was, that was how we started. And as you'll hear later on, as we go here, that not only have as, as she challenged me as, as we got married, but even as we moved along here, she's been a great challenge to me. But what I want to do is share with you, and it's really on this handout, you know, why do we give? 
how much do we give and how to give. So yes, you're going to hear today how much to give. We're going to deal with that. But we're going to first of all deal with why to give. And our flagship verse is 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. So you should either look that up in your Bible or hopefully if you have one of the bigger sheets, you can actually see it. And it says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, sowing up for themselves a solid foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. The first word there is instruct. We need instruction on this issue of giving. That's what I'm going to do today is try to give you some instruction. These are principles that I've had to learn over 37 years. I needed instruction. I didn't understand what the Bible said about giving. So I had to go into scripture and, and I've got a lot of scriptures written there that you can look up as you go home today because I won't cover them all, but we need instruction. And there's a couple other words I want you to circle in that passage. Instruct those who are rich. Circle the word rich. See, most people read this passage, they get to that word and they stop reading because they immediately say that doesn't apply to me. We all have the uncanny ability to think that I'm not rich, other people are rich. And I've seen this in, in my career of working with, with Christians and helping them be generous. That's what, what I do as a living. And it's just like, well, if you make 50000 you're not rich because the person that makes 100 is rich. So the person that makes 100 thinks, well, I'm not rich. That, and that's the way we are. So we quit reading that passage when we get to that word. Let me just propose to you that if you have more than you need, you're rich. And in this country, in this part of the country, in this city, and in this church, most of us in here have more than we need. Now, I know some people may be struggling, you know, job loss, whatever, may be in a situation right now where they don't have what they need, and that's why you'll hear in a little bit, those of us who have are to meet the needs of those who don't have. But this passage is to us. So what does it instruct us to do? A couple of things. Not to be conceited. What we have didn't come from us. It came from God. We'll hear that in a minute. And what we're supposed to do with what we have is what? Instruct them to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. Okay, so before we're done this morning, I'm going to give you four four-letter words to, to leave here with. And the first two are there on your handout, give versus keep. And you see the definition of give is, like I said, is to convey, is to transfer, is to pass on. So the opposite of give, as you can see there, is the word keep. And look at some of those things that, that are there to define keeping. We try to hold on to it, to retain in our possession, to maintain, to not to lose, to protect, guard, and preserve to defend, shelter, to keep in the same state, to save from destruction. I think it's the height of arrogance to think we can keep anything. It says in Proverbs 23, 4-5, that if we seek after wealth, it takes wings like an eagle and flies away. Luke 17, 33 says, if you try to, keep your, try to keep your life, you'll lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you'll keep it. Men and women, we have a choice. We can either be givers or we can try to be keepers. And I would propose to you that keeping is kind of an ugly thing. How many of you have kids or grandkids? Little ones. Now, what, what happens when they get to be about one and a half or two? Mine. Yeah. They start getting like this, right? Now, is that an attractive sight? You know, mine, keep, it's mine, keep. You know, and that's kind of what we do sometimes with God. We, we somehow have the arrogance to think we can actually keep it. We can't keep it. How are you doing on keeping your body in shape? Is your body the same way it was 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah, second law of thermodynamics, right? We're all kind of wearing out. So we can't keep it. It's the height of arrogance, I think, to think that we can keep anything. Write down the passage, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. 
It says, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Men and women, the only place you ought to be keeping anything, the only place that's secure is in heaven. And how secure are your investment accounts? Probably feeling pretty good this year, right? How are you feeling in 08, 09? See, there's no security when we try to keep stuff here. So my proposal to you is the first thing we have to do as we start to think right about this whole issue of giving is I'm either a giver or I try to be a keeper and it's kind of futile to think I can keep because I really can't keep anything. And that's not a very attractive sight, somebody trying to keep and hold and think it's theirs. So let's unpack six reasons why we give. You see the little word why? Why means the cause, reason, or purpose for something. That's the definition of why. So what are, some, what are six reasons why we give? Well, the first reason is to acknowledge God's ownership. I'm not going to give you all the verses there, but 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you weren't given? Deuteronomy 8, I love Deuteronomy 8, 16 to 18, where it says, You think it's your ability to make wealth, but no, I, the Lord, have given you the ability to make wealth. See, you and I have what we have because of God's graciousness to us. He's the owner, we're simply a steward. It isn't because of our great ability that we have what we have. It's simply God's graciousness to us. And some of us have more than others, but guess what? I've been doing this 37 years, and most everybody has enough to meet their needs. And we see that over in Philippians. God says, I will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the problem if we don't grasp this idea of ownership. In the third century, Cyprian, bishop of Carthage, wrote this description of the affluent. Their property held them in chains, chains which shackled their courage and choked their faith and hampered their judgment and throttled their souls. If they stored up their treasures in heaven, they would not now have an enemy and a thief within their household. They think of themselves as owners, whereas it is they, rather, who are owned. Enslaved as they are to their own property, they are not the masters of their money, but as slaves. See, if we don't grasp the idea that one of the first reasons why we give is to realize we're a steward, and as, as, the, top of your, as the front of your bulletin says, we're a channel, if we actually think we own it and can keep it, it's only going to entrap us. How many of you have helped your kids or grandkids move lately? Anybody? Yeah, well... I helped my middle son move for the fifth time. I told him I'm retired from moving, and that's it on that. But as we moved all this stuff, you know, the stuff that they own, this, this, this thing here about being entangled and masters of your stuff, I mean, how many trailer loads of stuff can you have, right? So Julie and I are into a thing now where we just put stuff on the table and tell the kids, hey, you know, and by the way, your kids don't want your stuff, so I'm just going to give you a little hint here about... You know, start getting rid of us. So we're spending stuff on the dining room table and saying, hey, if you want it, take it, because if not, it's going to Goodwill or whatever, because we're trying to make it easier for them when, when we pass on. So um, anyway, that's not, we're not owners. We're stewards, and we give to acknowledge ownership. God has given it to you. You give to acknowledge that it's not yours in the first place. It's really his. Second reason why we give, as you see there, is that it's, it's a sign of worship and gratitude. I mean, God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. So it behooves us, if God is a giving God, and he's demonstrated his great love for us by giving, as an act of worship and gratitude, we give back to God. And I think that one's a pretty clear 
uh, statement to all of us that one of the reasons why we give is because he first gave to us. We give back to acknowledge just as an attitude of worship. God, this is not mine. It's yours. I'm a channel. I'm a conduit. I'm passing it back to you. Third reason why we give, and I'll spend a little time on this one, is that it's a way that we we're first of all commanded, that verse we just talked about, Luke 6, 38 says, give and it shall be given unto you. So we're commanded to give. We said in 1 Timothy, it says, instruct those who are rich to be generous. But then it shows trust and obedience. If you want to obey God, and fellowship's about growing people up to be mature believers in Christ. Well, part of this maturity, I had to learn how to give. Like I said, when I first got married, before I understood some of these truths, I, wasn't, I didn't give. I had to learn that out of obedience to God. He says to give, I need to give out of obedience. But the key word there I want you to circle is trust. Because when you give, you have to begin to walk by faith and trust. Many of you in here had a lot of faith when you started your career and started your companies, right? You didn't have anything. I've, I've noticed an interesting thing in my business. When you don't have anything, you know, you depend on God and you trust God. Then the interesting thing happens is he blesses you and you begin to have stuff and you begin to be blessed and your business grows and your retirement plan grows and your bank account grows and And all of a sudden, you begin to trust in the pile. See, we believe in God, but we trust in our money. We believe in God, but we trust in our money. I I know this because people, you know, 08, 09 was a meltdown for a lot of people. Because, oh my word, you know, my account went down. So this is one of the reasons we give. It takes faith to give. Because you have to trust God with the future. But I'll also give you a little insight. I've never seen anybody outgive God. You'll find an interesting thing happen when you trust God and you test Him and you, you go with this, why? I'm going to give out of obedience and I'm going to trust you. Watch God open the storehouses of heaven for you. Don't, don't, don't you know, just stretch your faith. Now, I have, a, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I also hear the Holy Spirit through the, wife of, through the voice of my wife sometimes. You know, did you ever hear that? You know, the Holy Spirit sure sounds like my wife or my husband. Well, yeah, so Julie's... Remember, she kind of modeled giving for me early on, but let me tell you, as we've, as we've grown in this journey, there was times she'd say, now, Russ, I really think we ought to give more money. Why don't we just give away all that margin? You know, just give away our, some of our savings. And I'm like, uh, you know, what? what? Like, just like, give it, like, just like write a big check and like give it all away? And she goes, yeah. And, and she's pushed me and challenged me. And she'll drop something like, well, you know, if we didn't have a healthy baby, God could have got the money that way, you know? So she kind of has these, these things that help me think right. But... The point is that as I've been challenged, and I would challenge you that you're commanded to give and, it's, and it will help you trust and obey God. You know, Proverbs 11 says, if you trust in your riches, you'll fail. Don't put your trust there. Don't just say you believe in God and then trust in your retirement plan or your business or whatever. Trust in God. And giving helps us do that. One of the reasons why we give is it helps us realize that, okay, it does take faith. Because, you know, I'm giving this money away that I potentially could use or have in the future. Fourthly, we give to meet the needs of others. Okay? There's only one reason you and I have. Now, some of you in here fit in the need category. I understand that. But many of you and most of you have more than you need. And so the only reason you have more than you need is to meet the needs of those you don't have. You ever stop thinking about that? That's the only reason you have extra. Read those scriptures there in 2 Corinthians 9. You, you're supposed to be enriched in all liberality. You're supposed to have your antenna up to see what needs are around you, and you're to meet those needs. 
I read a book years ago called um, The God Pocket by Bruce Wilkinson, and he basically challenged, it was the idea that you have some money on you that when God impresses you, you're able to give it. So in this half of my wallet, this third of my wallet, I've got a little bit of money right here. This money is already given away. I'm just waiting for God to impress on me who to give it to. Maybe the, maybe the lady at the dry cleaner or the person behind the, the, the butcher counter. It may be, you know, you name it, fill in the blank. But there are needs all around us. And it doesn't hurt that I didn't, I didn't also give them one of these fellowship cards, right? That's why those are there, by the way. So if you pay for that meal for the person behind you or, or you do something, they know where the source of that generosity came from. Men and women, if you have more than you need, one of the reasons why you haven't, one of the reasons why you give is to meet the needs of those you don't have. And so let me just encourage you. I mean, I've really loved this concept of the God pocket. Maybe that's something you'll consider. You know, have some money that you've already planned to give away and just wait for God to impress you. It's really a cool way to live. And it helps you become this channel, this conduit that we're talking about. The fifth reason why we give is because the Bible does talk about rewards. I know that's a concept that that sometimes we're reticent to talk about, but our works and what we've done are going to be judged. We're going to stand before God and we're going to make an account. And what's, what's gold and silver will be refined and will be rewarded. If it's wood hand stuff, it'll be burned up. And I would propose to you that like when you give to fellowship and you help some of those ministries you saw last week flourish, you're going to have a reward for that. There was a song by Ray Boltz years ago that it went something like this. Thank you for giving. I'm a life that was saved. And the visual there was that when you get to heaven, there's going to be a whole line of people lined up to thank you for giving, and you won't know it this side of heaven. Maybe giving to help the learning center, or giving to help the youth group, or giving to, for somebody to go on a mission trip overseas. Isn't that cool? You're storing up treasures in heaven when you give, and you won't know the whole benefit of these rewards, or the whole impact, or the extent of these rewards, until you get to heaven. I hope and pray that all of you and everybody that calls Fellowship Home will be so generous that there will be a huge line of people when we get to heaven thanking us, thanking you, thanking me for our generosity because they're in heaven now because of what you and I did. Let me give you another visual. Say an airliner crashes in the Indian Ocean and it's got 200 people on it, you know, a millionaire, a doctor, a missionary kid, you know, a homemaker, you know, a, a big, you know, a international businessman. The second that airplane goes in and all those people are killed, they're all standing with nothing. Didn't matter where they lived, didn't matter the size of their bank account. None of that matters. They're standing before the God of the universe making an account for what they did. Got that visual? In that nanosecond, it didn't matter whether you were a millionaire, a business owner, a missionary kid, a doctor, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're all going to stand for the God of the universe, empty-handed. You, unless you've forgotten, you can't take any of this stuff you're accumulating with you, okay? And make an account. I want us to receive the rewards that God wants to give to us because we are a generous people. Sixthly, and this is probably the biggest one, it breaks the power of money. Luke Luke 16, 11 to 13 says, you cannot serve God in money, okay? So one of the others on the throne, and I'm convinced the only way to get money off the throne and God onto the throne is to, is to do this and to be generous, okay? But it's very difficult to do that. 
I mean, money distracts us. All the stuff we buy with money distracts us, and we get, we get focused back on the money and how big's my account and how are my investment returns in this year. We get focused on that rather than on what God is doing. The other thing that money does is, is it makes us prideful. So one of the reasons you give is every time you give, you're acknowledging that this isn't about you. You didn't build that business. God allowed you to have it. You didn't make that investment return. God allowed that. So every time you give, it helps you be humble that you didn't do it. It breaks the power of money. Because unfortunately, if I start thinking I did it, then I get prideful and arrogant. Let me tell you something else that money does, and and the reason you give it it is it breaks this power. Money can make you mean. Did you know that? They did a research um, project. This guy and his researchers spent seven years looking at the effect of wealth on individuals. They rigged a monopoly game, whereby at the flip of a coin, one person was rich, the other person was poor. One could buy up everything, the other very little. Interestingly enough, the rich talked about what they had done to be so adept at the game of monopoly. It was a rigged game, it was a flip of the coin, but isn't that the way we are? We think we did it? They also determined after seven years of research that as wealth went up, compassion and empathy went down, and the idea of entitlement and self-interest went up. The implications of this self-interest were they were less likely to be generous and help folks, they were more likely to cheat, they were more inclined to break the law and to lie in negotiations, their own interests were put above everybody else's interests. Now listen to this. They found in the research that the only thing that made these people more egalitarian and to do things a little better was when they gave. Giving made them a better person. So you give to break the power of money. There's also physiological and psychological benefits to giving. Listen to this. Dr. Jordan Grafman and his team of neuroscientists at the National Institute of Health found that giving money to charity activates the parts of the brain associated with pleasures of eating and other enjoyable activities. Their scientific research shows that people who give receive positive physiological results from seeing their money go to help others. Science has established from a physiological perspective what many generous individuals have known for years, that giving often benefits the giver as much as it does the recipient. So what are the reasons we give? We give because God owns it. It's not ours. And we're acknowledging that when we give. We give as an attitude of worship and gratitude. We give because we're commanded to. We want to be obedient. And it it builds our faith. We give to meet needs. And they're all around us. We do give because there are going to be rewards. I want to stand before God in the visual I just gave you, and I want to have that line of people that I don't even know impacted because I had a generous heart. And finally, I want to make sure I'm not controlled by the power of money. You know, another verse I like when we talk about that, Proverbs 18, 10 to 11. You can write that one down, Proverbs 18, 10 to 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. But a rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own imagination. See, man in his own imagination thinks that his security is in his wealth, but it's not. His security is only in the Lord. The Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and is safe. You know, I, I, um, there's a passage over in Psalm 78. It says, He commanded our fathers to teach them to their children, that the generations to come might know that they would teach their children to teach their children. So four generations. 
to put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commands. One of the things our kids and grandkids need to see us modeling is being generous and putting in the same confidence we had in God when we started our businesses and started our careers as we have success to still communicate that same confidence in God. And we do that by maximizing our generosity. So that's why we give. Now, what you all came here to hear about is how much to give, right? So I'm going to tell you how much to give. If you look on your sheet there, you'll see three principles. First is, how much you give does matter to God. He's watching. You remember the story of the widow's might. He's sitting in the temple in front of the treasury. Rich people are coming by, and they're clanging in a lot of money, and then the widow comes by and puts in two mites, and he pauses and says, look, she just gave more than everybody else. Now, it wasn't more in in an aggregate gross dollar amount, but it was more because it was commensurate with where she was wealth-wise. So the first principle on how much you should give has to do with it does matter to God. Some of you, because of where you are, won't be able to give much. Some of you, because of where you are, should be able to give a lot. Secondly, guess what? You get to figure it out. You determine the amount. There are no rules. There are no rules. You get to figure out how much you want to give. It's between you and God. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the, the, the catch, or the, or the thing that really drives all this home. According to your ability. That's, so here's the thing. The, New, the Old Testament talked about the tithe, it talked about it, and if you really go back and research it, it was really 23% because there were two 10% tithes and 10% to the Levites over three years, so 23%. But the New Testament takes all that off. The only time Jesus mentioned the tithe is when he fussed at the, at the Pharisees for being hypocritical because they were tithing mint and cumin, but they weren't, weren't dealing with the weightier issues of the law. The New Testament tells us to give according to our ability. Well, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> Let me tell you, gang, this is where it gets hard if you have more than you need. What does it mean to give according to your ability? I wish it said, I wish I could go in here and it said 10%, or even tell me 20%. Just tell me something. But now guess what? i got to wrestle with God. i got to wrestle with God and talk to my spouse, and you need to be in agreement on this, but you got to figure out what does it mean for you. And some of you have way more than you need. So when you're trying to wrestle with this how much question you know, that's what God wants. He wants us growing in our faith and wrestling with Him on the answer to how much. So He does. He's watching. Each one of us, it'll be a different amount. I don't have to account for what you do. I have to account for what I'm doing. Let me tell you, this is, this is where Julie and I are right now. This is a huge struggle for us. Is right, What does this mean given our stage and station in life? And let me tell you, most of the people in this room, we're talking about the budget and we're talking about paying off the debt. We can probably all give a little bit more than we need. Let me tell you, here's something I would encourage you to do on this how much. If you've got a, something in your mind, add a zero to it or multiply by two or add something to it. Just stretch yourself because you probably can do a little bit more than you think. Listen to what John Wesley said. Wesley preached that Christians should not merely tie, but give away all extra income once the family and creditors are taken care of. He believed that with increased income, that Christian standard of giving should increase, not his standard of living. He began this practice at Oxford, and he continued it throughout his life. Even when his income rose into thousands of pounds, he lived simply. One year, his income was slightly over $4 million. He gave away all but 100000 He was afraid of laying up treasures on earth, so the money went out as fast as it came in. 
1744, he wrote, When I die, if I leave behind me ten pounds, you and all mankind can bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. When he died in 1791, the only money mentioned in his will was the miscellaneous coins in his pockets and his dresser drawers. Most of the hundred million he had earned in his lifetime had been given away. So men and women, I don't, you know, here's, here's the issue on this, how much? The New Testament's very clear. God's watching, he cares, it matters to him. You and I get to decide, but we have to give according to our ability. And here's where it gets tricky, because we can convince ourselves of anything. I mean, this has been a pretty good year in the market, right? So many of you have accounts that have gone up. Well, what are you supposed to do with that? Or you have a business that's, 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 that's going up in value. What, what are you supposed to do with that? See, this is, this is why I wish it didn't... I wish the New Testament just told me how much. But God wants me by faith to, to really wrestle with Him. And I would propose to all of you that maybe what we're all supposed to do is say, okay, I've been comfortable, I've been comfortable here but maybe I should push that and to where I feel a little bit uncomfortable because that's where I begin to get back to faith. So guess what? I don't have to worry about you. I have to worry about you. So you have to figure it out. One nice thing about this, I just get to tell you this, then you've got to go wrestle with it, okay? Because I've got to wrestle with it myself. And I, there's a few passages there you can read about excess. I just think this whole issue of excess is interesting. You know, if you want to read something that really gets you convicted, go to James 5. The first seven verses in James 5 talk about you live in wanton pleasure and luxury, and yet you're not generous. So I didn't put that down there. It was too convicting for me, but you might want to go look that one up. But, you know, that's what it says. I mean, so you have to wrestle with this. We live in a fluent country, a fluent part of the city, and what are we supposed to do about that? Julie and I have said, okay, let's just at least try to get our giving to equal our living. That seemed like a good target. So we've been working over the years to try to move there. I don't know what it is for you on this how much question, but I would propose to you it's probably just a little bit more than you're thinking. So deal with that. You see then um, the, how, the house phrase there. So basically, a couple of other things I will say to you as you're thinking about this how much question is just know some of the facts. The government provides a matching program for your giving. Do you guys know that? Did you ever think about that? A matching program? What does that mean, Russ? Well, it means when you give $1,000, the government's probably given 300 or 200 or 400 of that, depending on your tax bracket. So it really only costs you 800 or 700 or 600. Did you ever think about it that way? Probably not. You probably thought, I gave 1,000. It cost me 1,000. It didn't cost you 1,000. That means you might be able to give more, right? Just that little tidbit right there. So the government has a matching program. And then the second point there is you can give assets. You can give some of this, this net worth thing, and that's where it gets hard. The answer to the question to give according to your ability is complicated because many people's wealth is tied up in non-cash. You know, your business, your retirement plan, your real estate, your house, all this stuff. And that's why I don't think God's going to give us a pass when we get to heaven. He said, well, how'd you do with what I gave you? Well, I didn't have any cash, and, but I've accumulated this whole, this whole amount over here. So my challenge to all of us is, how do we deal with these non-cash assets to be able to do what we were told to do, and that's give as we've been prospered and give according to our ability? And I'm not sure how much credit you get if you give it when you die, because you have to give it somewhere, right? We've already told our boys that, hey, you know, we're going to give more while we're alive and not give it when we die. We're going to be more generous while we're going along. Like somebody said, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. And I would encourage us to... to <laughs> Do that. 
So those are just a couple things to think about relative to this whole issue of, of how much should you give. And the reason I know most of us can give more than we think is because we've not thought about those other things that aren't cash. And we've forgotten about the fact that the government matches us. So I think if you understand those two things, then this idea of maybe being a little more generous might not be so scary. So how much (laughs) and how you do it, it's really up to you, but I don't think you want to be not dealing with it. Because you don't want to stand before the Lord empty-handed and he say, well, how'd you do with what all I gave you? And you say, well, I never did convert it to cash, so I just, it's just, it went all to my kids or whatever. That's not where I want to be. So, a couple last things to think about as we get close to wrapping up here. Let's say that you um, go to Europe on a two-week vacation, okay? So you go over to Europe and you get this nice little um, villa that you're going to stay in, and you immediately go out and you buy a bunch of paintings, oil paintings, and you buy some oriental rugs, and some nice uh, furniture and nice uh, plateware and silverware and stuff, and you, you get this place all fixed up because you're going to be there two weeks, right? Now, you got the visual? So what would you think if your person sitting next to you did that? What would be some adjectives that might come out of your, that you might think about that person? Well, I would propose to you that's pretty stupid, Okay. I would think that's just stupid. I'm going there for two weeks. Why would I spend all this money and store up all these things over here for this little room I'm in for two weeks when my home's back here in the States? We wouldn't do that, would we? Men and women, this is not our home. We are passing through. We're aliens. We're sojourners. I like what Paul said at the end of Acts. The very last verse in Acts, he says, he lived in rented quarters. He traveled light. So here's, you know, I want to be smart. I don't want to be stupid. I want to send as much on ahead. That's the only secure place anyway. Remember, if we store up down here, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So the question is, now, now here's what people say. Well, Russ, if I knew when I was going to die, I could answer this. And we don't, nobody knows that. But still, we can, we got to just keep, just, just keep what we need. Like John Wesley did, just keep what we need to get to the end and, and send the rest of it on ahead, gang. That's what a smart person does. A stupid person just keeps, you know, buying up stuff here and storing it up here and putting up treasures on earth, which, like I said, your kids aren't going to want it and moth and rust are going to destroy and thieves could break in and steal. So smart versus stupid. Now remember I said I was going to give you four four four-letter words. The first two were give and keep. So if you leave here today, I want, so you can either give it or you can try to keep it. That's futile to try to keep it. But here's my last two four-letter words. If you do what it says in 1 Timothy, and you're generous, and you're rich in good works, you are wise. Versus the farmer in Luke 12, which what did he do? He said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I've, I've got more. God's blessed my business. God's blessed my retirement plan. I'm just going to build bigger barns and store it up. And what was he called? That four-letter word was what? You fool. You were not rich towards God. And so tonight, your life is required of you. Men and women, I don't think anybody in here walking here today and saying, I just want to be a fool. No, you want to be wise. You want to be wise. And so the way you're wise is you do what 1 Timothy says. You figure out, how do I be rich in good works? How do I be generous? 
versus I'm just going to store it up over here. I don't want that to be said of me. I don't want God to say when I stand before him with nothing, well, you're a fool. I don't think you do either. So that's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is don't be foolish. Figure out, given your life stage, given where you are in your career, everyone's in a different place. That's why you have to answer this. I don't have to answer it. And I can't judge you for what you do. You, that's why we like to tithe, right? If we just like give 10% and then I might be good. No, no. We just need to be wrestling with God. Some of you, the, the tithe is a good place to start, but a lousy place to stop. And it's easy to multiply too, right? 10%, so you, that's kind of a nice number. But I don't know what it is for you, but what I do know is if you're going to live biblically according to the New Testament, you're going to engage in wrestling with God. God, what does generosity for me look like? And hopefully, as I've had to learn over 37 years, you begin to realize that you are, as it says on the front of your bulletin, a channel. You're simply a conduit. And I would close with Jim Elliott's phrase, and I think it sums it all up. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. There's our keep word. To gain what he cannot lose. You get that? You're no fool if you give up and you send on ahead and you're generous and you pass on because you can't keep it anyway. You're no fool when you give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. So men and women, that's my hope for all of us here, that we'll all wrestle with God and continue to, to figure out, what's that look like? For, now, some of you are starting businesses, some of you are starting careers, and you, know, you give to acknowledge ownership. If you don't have, um, like I like to tell people, if you're not making much, you have it easier than you think, because you just give to acknowledge ownership, and you've got to put food on the table. But if you have extra, it just got harder. Isn't that interesting? Some of you in here today, just, that, just, that just really helped you, because you're just barely making it. And guess what? If you're just barely making it, then you give to acknowledge God's ownership, but you don't have to wrestle with how much more to give because you're just barely making it. But if you have more than you need and you have surplus and you have investment accounts and you have real estate and all that, guess what? Your job's harder. That's why I like to tell people, sometimes having wealth, people think if I just had more, it'd get easier. No, if you have more, it gets harder. Because now you have to wrestle with, you know, I've got more than I need. How much more than I need should I keep? So that's my prayer for all of us, that we'll, we'll wrestle with God and we'll learn to be a channel and a conduit and grow in our generosity. And I've learned over 37 years, you can't outgive God. So I would say to you, test him, wherever you are. Say, hey, can I bump that a little bit? Or maybe I need to figure out how to extricate some of this out of my business or out of my retirement plan or whatever. Because we don't want to be foolish. Lord, thank you so much that your word is very clear that you own it, we're simply stewards, that you give us surplus to meet the needs of those who don't have, that we either worship God or money, and so we give to break the power of money. Lord, and you gave your son to us as a model of how we need to have an attitude of generosity and giving. And Lord, you're very clear that we're to give according to our ability. So Lord, I pray for each one in here that they will wrestle with you, talk with their spouse if they're married, and Really try to figure out what they're supposed to do. Because, Lord, your work does not lack your resources. So, Lord, what's going on here at Fellowship, there's plenty of money. So, Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we want to be wise and not foolish. We want to be smart and not stupid. So, Lord, I just pray for each one here that you'll encourage them in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have a great Sunday. <laughs>